For the second time at Misano, the fall of Banyaya brings up the rise of El Diablo. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey gang, welcome to episode 330 of Motorsport 101, and uh, this is the second part of our doubleheader of what was a pretty awesome stacked weekend of motorsport. This time, we're going from four wheels to two wheels and heading back over the Atlantic to Misano for the second time this season for the MotoGP Grand Prix, Emilia Romagna, Made in Italy, etc., etc., and uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun time, it was a tense time, and well... It, you can say it had definitely been coming, but we got the coronation of MotoGP's newest world champion. The first one ever to come from France. Fabulous Fabio, everybody. Fabio Cotteraro, our new world champion. We'll talk all about his season and how he got Yamaha to break out the t-shirts probably a couple of weeks earlier than, than anticipated than expected. I guess we'll talk about how we got to that point in a minute, but... Uh, First of all, let's go around the horn. First up, Cam Buckley, how's it going, sir? Um, it's going real good. Um, you know, I haven't known a feeling like this since Aragon 2017. <laughs> two yes. Repsol Hondas on the podium in a 1-2! The rapture has arrived. <laughs> we'd, like to, we'd like to give our congratulations to noted under perennial underdogs Repsol Honda on, on this historic <laughs> <laughs> noted, noted perennial one bike is good and the other one is awful team. Mi- but this minnows time, of the F- were good. Of the Moto- minnows of the MotoGP paddock. Oh, Victims, <laughs> you know, hubris is a bitch. And when it comes around for you, no one's safe. Oh, dear. Yeah, we'll get into that as well. So somehow, out of all the, the the episodes we've had of MotoGP dunking on the Repsol Honda brand, yes, they really did finish a Grand Prix 1 and 2. How we get to that point, again, is crazy. So stay tuned for more of that, as Cam looks incredibly smug over his 1-2 finish. Uh, I don't quite have him got there either, but here we are. RJ, how's it going, my man? <laughs> I was on fire uh, last episode. I think I think I'm just gonna chill. I'm just gonna chill for a bit. I I, I couldn't engage much with MotoGP. I did see the highlights. Uh, I'm just gonna take this time to unwind, kick bats, and just enjoy. A sound plan. A sound plan as we get into the highly tense MotoGP race and a topic that is bound to divide some people. Uh, King, how's it going down there, my man? Going, going pretty good. Going pretty good. <laughs> Oh, like, King, I love that we get to rehash old ground from a, from about a month ago, talking about the one thing we thought was definitely not going to help the problem in lightweight bike racing actually becoming the thing they think is going to fix lightweight bike racing. Now, if, if, uh, if certain people will have us, will be made to believe this in the end, they're going to keep trying to push to make things safer. How? Don't, don't know yet, but they're working on other options. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that uh, out yes. later. Like, oh yes, our favorite, our favorite solution to be confirmed. Yes, yeah, TBC, TBC. It's it's it's, it's the versatile friend, TBC. Um, uh, so, my favorite Dale Coin racing driver. Of course, <laughs> uh, of course. Like we, we loved it. We love TBC. We love how they always roll up to Dale Coin sometime around February. Um, right, so. In the next hour or so, we will talk about MotoGP at Misano, the second coming of Misano, and how Fabio got his title crown, how Marc Marquez won a Grand Prix again, this time going clockwise rather than anti-clockwise, and mm. how Ducati threw it all away again. Um, and we will talk about the Thursday and a massive, and I do genuinely mean this, massive piece of news that came from the FIM regarding essentially the entire future of Grand Prix motorcycle racing changing massively regarding how old have you got to be to ride these bikes. And, uh, yeah, it is, it's going to be a game changer. And, and, and but also not really a game changer, if you get what I mean. We'll talk about that in the next, again, next about hour or so. 
But in the meantime, here's places you can find this if you haven't already. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, get all those, get all those notifications from about our content. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter and motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow our handles there on the screen right now, if you're listening via audio, it's at harrison101hd, at RJ O'Connell, at cbuckley917, and at Ryan Eric King. We're on Instagram at motorsport101pod. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to all of our audio episodes you can upgrade to 10 for all the video versions and get live commentary access on the supporters club of our discord server live as we've been recorded um you can find all those details and all our written content including an expansion on the second topic on the website motorsport101.com check out the blog section if you haven't already so without further ado let's get into the emilia Romagna grand prix MotoGP was back for its second race of Misano this season, first of two repeat rounds to close out the 2021 season. And after changeable conditions on Saturday, Ducati's own Francesco Bagnaia gave himself a good chance to keep his slim title hopes alive with another pole position. With Fabio Cordero failing to make Q2 for the first time in its top flight career, he would go on to start the race in 15th. It was dry on Sunday, and it was pretty clear who... It was dry on Sunday, and it was pretty clear early on who the two main contenders were, because after Jack Miller crashed early on at turn 15, Bagnaia and Mark Marquez pulled away from the field. As the laps ticked down, it looked back Bagnaia was going to break away, but then with five laps left, Bagnaia crashed from the lead at turn 15, effectively guaranteeing Fabio Cordero would win his first Premier Class World title. Mark Marquez took his third win in 2021 with teammate Paul Espargaro, a career-high second, and Anaya Bastianini shocking Cordero in the final lap to take his first podium in the top flight. But Fabio Cordero came up the line for it to become the 2021 MotoGP World Champion, the first-ever French World Champion in his third season in the top flight. At age 22. Oh. At age 22. Mark Marquez <laughs> really broke the curve uh, on what we yeah. expect from first year. Murdered it. <laughs> but enough about that. Folks, your thoughts on Fabio Cordararco's championship season and also when you have a minute, those celebrations. Because I saw the <laughs> I saw the augmented reality in the highlights. It's just it's something. It's it's a trip. Um, a solid eight out of ten for me for the celebrations. Like I loved the, I love that the gold helmet has become like the Grand Prix motorcycle racing tradition. I know Kings joked about this how in like in cycling, this is really not the best of ideas. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, because Sasha brought it up during the race because in professional cycling, obviously, uh. Separate equipment is a big marker of big accomplishments. Obviously, everyone knows that the leader of the Tour de France wears a yellow jersey. A lot of people don't know that uh, after the Olympic Games, for the four years up until the next Olympic Games, the Olympic champion in the road race wears a golden helmet. Mm. <laughs> like I know, like the riders don't actually wear them very often. I think Marquez did a couple of times with some of his older titles, but it's like almost purely for decoration. It's like uh, yeah, Mark. Uh, I mean, I like the- Mark did for his last one. Mark did for twenty nineteen. He did. Yeah, the last race of the he year. doesn't do. Like that's not normal. Like normally, it's mm. just purely for decoration. Like, like I know that Fabio broke his out of like one of those dry ice cabinets, like the gold version of the El Diablo the Zelda item theme. Oh, yeah, it, it it fits perfectly. Uh, it really does. And uh, yeah, like the, I love that they gave him instructions like walk here, and then they had to give him the spot. Say, look, stand here, and then like there was this great moment where Dorna panned out. And you could see the whole grandstand, and then you could, they played his career highlights on the LED boards underneath, and then it ended up world champion. Okay, that was really cool, I have to say. Like, mm. Daughter is very, very good at uh, playing up the big moments. Um, wasn't such a big fan of the giant augmented reality dancing devil, but hey, they can't all be winners. Yeah, um, no, you can, this is so uncouth. Um, but uh, no, like, Talking about the man himself, like, this is a huge, huge deal for Grand Prix motorcycle racing, especially back in France. Um, the French love their bikes. Like, I don't think it's been spoken about enough that France are really, really into bike racing. Um, 
they get they, they regularly get over a hundred thousand on race days at Le Mans whenever MotoGP rolls into town. I remember I them going nuts over here. You know, yeah, you got cam. Yeah, mo- most of the endurance races we talk about the other World Endurance Championship are located in mm. France, not only for the other twenty four hours of Le Mans, but also the Bull d'Or, which is. A tremendous event in the history of motorcycle racing. They love their bikes. Mm-hmm. They do indeed. And you know you've made it when uh, President Macron is uh, congratulating you um, on social media. PSG Football Club is uh, congratulating you on social media. Um, yeah, like Jean Tot, the president of the FIA, was, was leading the congratulations on Twitter as well. This was a huge deal back in France. And, like, the man has been tremendous all season long and like all the question marks we ever had about Fabio Cordararo going into this season because we all saw how his 2020 season the pandemic seasons I like to nickname it and how it all came tumbling down like a house of cards last year he was incredibly open about hiring a sports psychologist and you know getting some mental health help for the future and look at the rider he's become since um I mean, Cam, I know you could speak for this one. I mean, incredibly impressive. Hasn't really put a foot wrong all year. You know. No, um, he he was very reflective last year because I think we can all agree that last year had Fabio written all over it and he dropped the ball, both he and Yamaha, mm. with uh, some casual cheating early on in the year. <laughs> um, yeah. He got himself right. Knuckled down on the places where he's trying. I mean, his braking ability is some of the best I've ever seen on a motorcycle. And that's really emerged this year more than any other. And certainly wasn't a perfect season. I wouldn't call it an all-timer, but he kept his nose clean. He scored the best results when they were available to him. And he didn't really have a lot of bad days. And that makes you champion when... No one, when no one else can keep their heads, keep your own, and you might end up the winner. And, man, all of his competition this year just could not stop tripping over themselves. It was a bit like last year with Mir, but only not to the same extreme. Mir was the most consistent in a group of inconsistency. Um, and I think Quattararo's season was somewhat like that. Which, again, is a testament to his newfound mental strength. Con- yeah, just <laughs> bulletproof consistency. Um, even when, when he didn't have the ability to win on a given day. You would bring on the points. Yeah. The fact he celebrated Le Mans where he finished third like it was a Grand Prix win because it was wet conditions and he knew he struggled in the rain and he knew what a big result that was for his title campaign. He was patching the holes in his game. And was one interview that got me about this. It was Andrea De Vizioso who was talking um, to the race about this. And like obviously he's just joined the Yamaha team again after you know, the best part of a year on hiatus. Um, he was shown Fabio Cotteraro's data um, on the bike and, and how it matches up. And he just said, how is he doing this? Um, because he's the first person to openly admit he knows the Yamaha shortcomings better than anybody else. It struggles to overtake. It's lack of top-end grunt. It's front tires overheating. And he always finds a way to mitigate it all. And that is what's made him so strong this year. Because you look at Yamaha around him this year. They have nothing. They've, they've, they've had no prolific second rider all year long. Frankie Morbid, I will was say, yeah. Frankie, yeah. this race early on, not too bad. Mm. Given that he's still very much recovering from what is probably pretty permanent uh, mm. knee injuries. But yeah, they've had, they've had nothing outside of Quadraro this year. Rossi, we know it's it's time, and he knows that he's admitted it, and he's leaving at the end of this year. Last time him in finish, Italy, by the way, finishing tenth. By the way, felt like oh man, Ben Roethlisberger just threw for two hundred yards and didn't throw an interception. <laughs> At yeah. this stage of his NFL career, it's like, oh my God, Peyton Among- Manning threw for 250 when he was with the Broncos after his shoulder gave out. <laughs> a, Mar- a Marquez win and an Aspargaro brothers second in Rossi's final race in Italy. Somewhere, Ooh. friend of the show, friend of the show, Kevin Walsh was punching air. 
Oh, oh yeah. But you know what? But, some uh, lucky fan, some lucky fan actually yeah. got Valentino Rossi's special Misano helmet. In, like, dude, for the record, he never gives those away. Ever. It's, I've been watching him for 25 years. I've never seen him throw a helmet into the crowd before. Ever. He just doesn't do that. That helmet is going to be on eBay next week with a £25,000 price tag. Like, it's going to be on eBay tomorrow with a twenty-five grand price tag. Guaranteed. Like, 25? Like, that is going to be minimum. That, that's the reserve price. Like, <laughs> no, no, that is going sold. That is getting sold for a hot minute. But no, I mean... But, but, but yeah, to, to, to bring it back to uh, to Fabio mm. for a minute, it's just, again, <clears throat> it, he, he has... He's gained the ability this year through a big increase in his mental toughness to just know when not to overextend himself, mm. but also when there's some, when there is an opportunity in front of him, leverage the bike's strengths strengths to his advantage to go get that result. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Like, that's Pat. Yeah. yeah it was very, very good this year. Yeah, just patched pretty much every major hole in him and Yamaha's game, and he was able to find a way to make it work when no other Yamaha rider was prepared to or willing to. Or Again, to be fair to Morbidelli, he's been hurt pretty much all the year. But I'd say no their only other him. rider that they've really had, because I don't think we can call Maverick Vinales much of a Yamaha rider this year. Remember when he won a race this year? Mm. Well, yeah, remember um, that? Oh, that was fun. Yeah, the only other full-time yeah. rider that they've had is Valentino, who, again, is just... He's just too Oof. old at this point. Indeed. indeed. You say that he's right. too old, and the VR46 Ultras are... I hear the sirens. They're coming. <laughs> um, well, um, you can... You, well, we can throw some helmets at them with a little more force. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, no, like I said, a, a tremendous overall season. And again, MotoGP's got another disgustingly likable... French, like, Gen Z star. Like, man is celebrating his world title by doing the floss with an augmented reality devil in the background. And that's just how you know I'm starting to get old when it comes to motorsport. And I'm only 29, and I'm seeing a 22-year-old world champion. Which, again, if it wasn't for guys like Mark Marquez and Casey Stoner, we'd be pulling our hair out about how ludicrous this is. Um, like, again, because MotoGP... They took that just- curve and melted it down. Yeah, it's 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 a puddle at this point. It, it doesn't exist. But oh, we we got there. Uh, I said Yamaha was probably able to rip open the t-shirts a couple of weeks early. Portimao in two weeks' time is, was the far more likely event that Fabio was going to win this title. Maniaya led lights to f- lights to crash um, on this occasion from pole position. It was looking like it was going to be a Grand Slam victory for Maniaya until. Five laps to go, and well, wow. oh, if there was one way maybe of summing up Banyaya's season, and it's maybe even his time in MotoGP today, Cam was probably that one. It's, I love watching Pecco versus Marquez, I love it. I've oh, seen yeah. it, th- I think, three times now. I love it. Good. Um, but there is a problem when you are pushing 110%. The guy behind you is also pushing that hard. And as we saw at the start of this weekend, he's coming back. Because Mm. in qualifying, Marc Marquez ended up on his, over the front of his bike on his handlebars and saved the bike. Like this, folks. He's, it's, it's, uh, it's the slow burn of the, of the transformation before everyone realizes they're screwed. Um, these two chased each other away at the front after Jack Miller went down, which is pretty much the story of Jack Miller's entire season, and proceeded to pull at minimum about four to five tenths on the field every single lap for the remainder of the race. Pretty much. They were both over the limit, trading fastest laps, both of them refusing to give an inch. And Banyaya just dropped the front of the bike. He was riding. He was in win or crash mode. He admitted it himself because there was no other option. He had to win this race. And he just straddled a little too far over that line. 
yeah, he openly admitted he was over the limit on that race, and it it's it it sums up their situation better than anything else. We know that Peko has a genuine X factor on that Duke, and he can mitigate. He can make it turn. He can mitigate Ducati's biggest weakness, and that is why, if this was like a game of Madden, he'd be one of those guys with the X factor stamp on his on his profile because he, he's that good. I said, and if anybody followed my tweets on Sunday afternoon, I gave him the ultimate commentator's curse because I thought he's starting to pull away from Marquez with five to go, and I'm thinking this is the fastest bike rider on the planet right now. Like, like Fabio's not had these barnstorming wins over the course of the season. Banyaya was the guy that was going 110% trying to keep his slim title chances alive. You know and we then... About, you know we talked <laughs> about Colton Herta a couple of weeks ago on the IndyCar, but mm. we talked about XP. Thank you, yeah, yeah, the the episode. The yeah. Mm. Yeah, thank you. With expected mm. points, man, the amount of laps led... And the and the polls out of the Ducati contingent this year, mm. and they got a whole lot of nothing out of it because when the when you overstep the mark on the Ducati, it, there's no flair to it. There's no massive crash. It just drops the front. And you crash out of the race. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You just, it just, it just went. Yeah, it just went. Front tire gave way. I mean, Misano is already a, one of the most technically difficult tracks MotoGP goes to. And turn 15 is infamous. It wiped out Miller earlier in the race. It wiped out Marco Bezzecchi in the Moto2 race earlier in the afternoon. You're doing five straight right-handers on that part of the track, coming down towards side the side of the tires is just punished yeah. through that section of the track. Yeah, and you're all of a sudden you've got a very fast left coming up, and if you disrespect the front going into that left hander, you will go down. There is yeah. no other way of describing it, and that's exactly what happened to both factory Ducatis on the day. Thank goodness, Anaya Bastini spared their blushes. Yeah, like and then, like Anaya spared their blushes in the manufacturer's title because he was still able to finish in third, mm -hmm. but. Like, it was not a good result um, that, for Matty Iredell. I was in it as well with... Mark had to put a soft rear tire on the bike to try and mitigate some of the Honda's rear grip problems because that is the only mm. way to, is mm. to bandage it over with a soft rear tire. That rear tire was going. He was beginning mm. to drop off. But even then, having suffering the tire drop off, he was only about nine-tenths behind. Yeah, These are two of the fastest people on a motorcycle on planet Earth on the day leaving over the limit. Both bikes yeah. visibly out of control for 30 laps. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Mar I think Marquez was just about beaten. I was sitting there thinking, does Bagnaia need to push this this hard? He survived a onslaught of Fabio Quadraro the last time we raced him and that was only six weeks ago. Um, and he he felt like he had to break away from Marquez to win, and he just overcooked it and went. And it's the second time in two years he's done this, because he did this at this very Grand Prix last year, when it was Maverick Vinales chasing him down when he was a factory Yamaha rider. And he did the exact same thing, only it was turn six well, that's rather just than turn that, 15. That supreme X factor that makes him so fast on the Ducati means that the Ducati's always straddling that line of the fastest bike on the grid and mm -hmm. sitting in a gravel trap. It, it reminds me a lot of the more aggressive Hondas just on the knife edge constantly, and it's never ideal. But let's talk a little bit about the man at the front as well, because uh, almost lost in the shuffle of the title drama and how he got there. Mark Marquez won his 86th career Grand Prix. Like, he's all right. <laughs> Uh, at a clockwise track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. <laughs> this this is a problem. I mean, he has four less grumpy wins now than Angel Nieto. And he's third on the all-time wins list. It's only Nieto, Agostini, and Rossi at this point. It's a, he it's, could it's realistically... How many, races mm -hmm. did he, how many races did he miss this year, Dre? Four. 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 Um, how many of the races that he has been part of has he been fully physically fit? Zero. He has three wins. He is mm -hmm. by a country mile top Honda in the standings, and he could realistically finish fifth if he continues this run of form. 
He's coming to King's Man's Brad What Binder. the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he, yet again, Mark Marquez finds new ways to not make any sense. It, it's it, he's, he's having it. the worst year of his career as far as actually being here. Mm. And he's still showing everyone why he is just busted. Yeah. He's a cheat code. He, and, he, and look, his teammate is no scrub. His teammate is Polar Spargo, former top independent Rin. He was the savior of KTM no less than a couple of years ago. Took that, took a bad struggling factory team, sorry King, to really good positions on numerous occasions, challenging for wins on occasions. Well, I even had, even got on pole one time. This is, he, he he's no slouch. He's a world class bike rider. The best bike, he was best left bad gasping. bike rider for me in the world. He was left gasping in the wake of the front two, as was everyone else. He was eight seconds behind at his worst, which in MotoGP terms is a chasm. Um, Unbelievable result for him. And I just wanted to say, like, gentlemen, how spicy does 2022 look when you've got the essentially three biking final bosses like spearheading the sport going into next year? We've got Fabio on a Yamaha, Banyaya on a Ducati, and Marquez on a Honda. Like, three different manufacturers, three different strengths, three very different bike riders. And those are the three favorites going into 2022? Man, I feel Ooh. for Yoan Mir and Su- Suzuki. I don't know how it all went wrong. The, be- <laughs> the, be- <laughs> the, best, the best strategy to develop your bike is to not develop the bike at all and hope mm. that it being easy to ride is enough. No, get your sh- Suzuki. If you want to play at this level, you got to break out the checkbook. You got to start throwing things at that bike because they were mm-hmm. they were nowhere this way. Even Rins had a pretty good weekend confer- considering his year so far, and they were nowhere. Mm. Yeah, and then Mir crashed it. Mir had arguably the worst Grand Prix of 2021. He was already started, I think, in in 13th place. He fell to 15th off the start. It turns out he jumped the start and had to take a double long lap penalty as a result of jumping the start. And then as he was about to take his long lap penalty, he crashes and takes out Danilo Petrucci with him on Danilo's 31st birthday. Way to go, man. <laughs> Snowballing. It's like, it's, like, it's like a cartoon anvil from Looney Tunes, only they just keep falling on his head. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was not good. It, on a weekend where the the could have and should have uh, world champion of last year was rightfully took the uh, crown this year. Last year's champion, yikes! Yeah, that was and, uh, uh, that was all time bad. Yeah, there, there's already rumblings that they want to try and bring Davide Brivio back, given he's now over there at Good Alpine. luck! I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's going to do anything. I really don't. They, I think, secretly, they think that a lot of their success last year was down to Davide and his, and his man management. And I'm just like, if that was the reason you won that title last year, you guys are in bigger trouble than I thought. Um, yeah. Because, like, it's not, I knew it wasn't a good sign when as soon as I said that rumor, King just started giggling in the background because he was just like, what is, what is that? Um, I'll say uh, for 2022, Ducati, make the bike turn. Mm -hmm. Yamaha, make the bike go. Mm -hmm. Honda, just make a bike. Make something (laughs) that can, that can be called a motorcycle. And we are in for a real good season. Yeah. I said that Aragon, I said it again here, those three are the three fastest dudes in bike racing right here and now. It's Fabio, Banyaya, and Marquez. And it frustrates me because I would have thrown Maverick Vinales into that discussion if he hadn't over-revved the Yamaha into oblivion. But uh, here we are. Hey, you got, a, um, got a top 10 on a uh, Aprilia this week. It's uh, good drive. It good ain't drive. much. It ain't much, but it's honest work. 
Good ride, good ride, Maverick. And you know, especially given tough emotional circumstances as well. Good to see them yeah. out back. And uh, yeah, good job from Maverick to get in the top ten, second ever race on an Aprilia. That's no, that's no slouch performance at all. Um, but my God, twenty twenty two is uh, looking tasty. It is, it is looking tremendous. Spicy right? season. Oh, that's spicy indeed. There's never been yeah. a better time to get into MotoGP, except for all the other times where we told you that there has never been a better time to get into MotoGP. <laughs> America, I'm looking at you. I saw those TV ratings over the weekend. Half a million, step on it. Yeah, like America, get, get behind this dash. It helped yeah. if all the events were live. It, it really would. It really would. America, get on this, okay? Like seriously, it's, it's, it's nice morning. Get a bit of excitement with your breakfast. Nice morning, morning. you know. I, I know. No, I know. It's super. It's super European. I know, like especially in pandemics where the flyaways have been cut out altogether with MotoGP for the last year and a half. It's, it's not exactly helped either. But uh, yeah, go out of your way to watch this one. This one was fun. This one was very fun at the front. It was tense. It was. It, it had a fair amount of shock in it. There was some good fun in the midfield as well. And uh, the surge in an air at the end on the final lap is well worth a watch because both those two almost wrecked <laughs> trying to fight for that third place on the final lap. It was great fun. Now, the biggest piece of news that came out of this weekend, besides Fabio's world title, of course, came out on Thursday, believe it or not. And uh, it was a massive, massive announcement regarding the future of Grand Prix motorcycle racing, especially when it comes to how its junior classes are being run. So here's a little bit more on that right after this. So... On the Thursday of Masano's weekend, the FIM released a press release statement that announced a collaboration between themselves and Dorna that will significantly change the minimum age limits of the junior series it manages. It's going to be a slow process over the next couple of years, but by 2023, the minimum age of all MotoGP World Championships, that's the Premier Class, Moto2 and Moto3, will be increased to 18. You have to be age 18 to race in any MotoGP World Championship. It also means increases to the Junior World Championship and the Spanish CEV. That's gone up to 16 years of age. And the minimum age from Red Bull Rookies has been increased from 13 to 15. Now, there is a grandfather clause in there's an exemption. So anyone that's already in these classes, obviously, we'll get to race next year and obviously in 2023, regardless of the regulation changes, as long as you meet the future criteria, as well as a one-year age exemption if you are a champion of the previous class. So, for example, if you're 17 and you win the junior championship, you are allowed to take part in the Moto3 World Championship, just to make that a little bit clearer. They've also, if I have also announced in this statement as well, that there are going to be some safety changes. Airbags will be mandatory in all the major series down to Talent Cup level from 2022 onwards. Brackets, thank God. Close brackets. Mm -hmm. um, and more work will be done towards increasing the speed of communication regarding crashes, like the use of the bike's dashboards, for example, which we already see for strategic reasons um, across the classes. They're, they're gonna, they're, apparently, they're working on trying to communicate more to the riders about incidents. Uh, and I was in, the, the riders were asked about this. One of the big ones for me came from Valentino Rossi. He came out and said, and I quote, especially for Moto3, from 16 to 18 is a big change because everybody wants to start as soon as possible. Rossi said when asked by Otto Sportfish Watson in the Eagles that it's a big difference because two years is a lot. At 18, a lot of riders have to wait. For sure, this will be better for the safety but I don't know if it will fix all the problems. I think it's more important that the riders will have good behavior when they are on track than the age. So they need to follow more precisely the race direction and stewards are more strict. A move to 18 is quite a big step. Imagine I started at 17 in the World Championship 25 or 26 years ago. So 18 is quite high. So again, as I thought to kick at the top of the show, we said that the one thing that we thought was probably not going to fix the problem is the first thing that Dorna implements, an age limit increase. So I think you might be able to see where this is going, but gentlemen, how effective do we think these changes will be regarding the state of lightweight bike racing? 
it's not going to change anything in terms of the on-track racing. Like, the racing is going to be exactly the same. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, look, airbags being mandatory is objectively great. Yep, it it yeah, should have been a thing already. Very good. Yeah, I, I, I read that statement and I was yes. like, I, I, I read that statement and I was like, you mean it's not a thing already? Like, flip the bill, yeah. get everybody a goddamn airbag in their levers. I don't know how that wasn't a thing already, but yes, good. <laughs> yeah, um, better late than never. <laughs> communication via the dashboards. Again, don't know how it wasn't a thing already. Objectively good. Notifying people of uh, incidents further up the track. But, to King's point, in Moto3 and lightweight bike racing, it's not going to be a corner or a sector ahead. It's going to be right next to you, because we pack race. All that's been done here, as far as the changing of the age limits, is all you've changed are the dates and years on the headstone of a dead rider. That's all you've done here. I, I I I can't disagree with any of this. Um, I felt like you were just kicking the can down the road. Um, as far as I'm concerned, and one of the the first thing that came into my mind when I read this statement on Thursday was, you can still ride in a Talent Cup series at 14 on a Moto3 bike. You can still take part in the Asia Talent Cup, the the British Talent Cup, the new Northern Talent Cup coming out later this year. Um, you could still ride the Moto Free bike at age fourteen in those series. So, what difference does it make? Yeah. And all you, all you, yeah, yeah, and the idea where we've seen from a lot of people uh, looking at you, Simon Patterson, is the idea, <laughs> the idea that if a rider is older, they're somewhat more mature, more experienced, and they're not more likely to put themselves in dangerous situations. We've seen from all the writing this year that that is factually incorrect, uh, based on the ages of the writers involved in notable incidents. Give me one second, RJ. And also, like Dre, you said, you could still be 14 and ride in the Talent Cup. Say you win the Talent Cup, you go to CEV, you win CEV, and then you're in Moto3 the next year. You have two seasons of experience on that bike already before you hit the Moto3 World Championship. I don't think experience is an issue here. Yeah, because how old was Romano Fanati when he grabbed dude's brake lever? Mid-twenties. How old is Darren Bender now we're, when we're all in agreement that, like, yeah, he's jumping up a step way too far and he's far too wild for this step up from Moto3 to Moto1? I, I, I want to say twenty. I want to say twenty-one, and and like the last person to do the double jump was Jack Miller, and Jack Miller was runner-up in a world championship. At least there was some justification for Miller because the talent stood out in Moto Three back then. He was narrowly. What in the world did they have planned to bust up the packs? Because yeah, that's the thing. We, I we need to step away from these intangible things we can't measure and just assume are the trend that if you're older, you're going to make smarter decisions out on track. We have to talk about concrete solutions to solve these actual problems where people's King. lives are on the line. King, I want to address that directly. In this instance, it does not matter what decision you make on track. Because no matter what happens in pack racing, and this is in IndyCar racing, this is in NASCAR, and this is here, where people are exposed, where people do not have 3,400 pounds of rolling steel to protect them when someone crashes in a pack. Mm. Your mistake might not matter. You might not make one. If someone else makes a mistake in a pack, there is nothing you can do. You are at the mercy of everyone else around you. Yeah, you can't get out. That. You can't get out of trouble in a pack race if someone goes down. There's nowhere to go. No, the yeah. only place to go is into another rider, and we know how that story ends. Yeah, it, it, I was going to say the dashboard messaging is a non-factor because the the type of incidents that are killing these young men and these children, you they're instantaneous. Like 
Having a dashboard saying, oh, there's a crash three corners down the road. No, you have a leading group of 15 to 20 people most of the time. And it it, it comes up, it it creates this notion that, oh, the reason why we don't see these fatal accidents happen all the time in MotoGP is because they're just older and more experienced. We all know that's not true. Look, 10 years ago, hmm. 10 years ago this month, We saw an incident not dissimilar in the way it ended. Because coming up out of a corner, there was a crash, and people didn't see it in time, and we lost Marco out of it. Marco Simoncelli. Yeah. Ten years ago this month, we had a pack race that never should have happened in, in IndyCar, where people knew what was going to happen. The crash happened well up the field, and because you're going so fast and you're so close together, there was nothing that could have been done. We lost Dan Weldon. One of the darkest weeks in in modern motorsport history. Because that was the same week. Look, I know King mentioned Simon Patterson by name because he got into it with me on Sunday morning regarding this, and, and I didn't like the analogy that the man made comparing... 15-year-olds to the typical 15-year-old. These are not normal 15-year-olds. These are children that have been coerced into riding potential death traps from the time they're barely out of nappies. This is not the average 15-year-old at all. Like, these are... like I use the example about how life is in the UK. At 15, you cannot consent to sex. You can't legally drink. You can't legally drive. You can't join the military. You can't get married. You are. You need to have a legal guardian to do anything in life worth a damn. But you can potentially compromise your education, fly all over the world, and ride a 150, motor, 150 mile an hour motorcycle. You cannot sit there and compare that to the average 15-year-old that's watching Team America Secret Police on their DVD yeah. player and swinging the occasional can of beer. Like, well, it is no, not for, the for, fucking same. Not even close. For all intents and purposes, for for a lot of these teenagers, this is more than just a future profession or even a profession at that. It is their lives. Yeah. Yes. They, these are professional athletes. And th- this whole notion, and the reason why I was so angry at Simon a man who's been in the paddock for a long time and knows these people better than I do. And I'll be the first person to hold my hands up on that. I am not a professional MotoGP journalist. I've never been in a MotoGP paddock. I don't know these people. But what I do know when I watch these broadcasts and watch these products and see these people ride these motorcycles is the age of these people has got not one fucking iota to do with how they behave on a racetrack. And I'll give you two easy examples during Cota, that incident that had Pedro Acosta launched into like 30, 40 feet down the track, the cut that Dennis Onsu put on Jeremy Alcoba, Alcoba himself had an even more egregious weave at 145 miles an hour down that Cota straight, and nothing happened. The same Jeremy Alcoba, in a segment that sadly didn't make Motorsport 101 back in June when we reviewed Catalonia, it was optional. It didn't make the final cut, but I wanted to talk about it because Jeremy Alcoba intentionally slowed down on the second-to-last lap of a massive pack race in Catalonia. One of the most inherently dangerous things you can do on a racetrack because he didn't want to be towed down the front straight on the final lap of a Grand Prix. And if you've seen that final lap of Catalonia, they were going nine or ten wide into turn one on the final lap of that race. And you know what's funny? Jeremy Alcoba is 20 years old next month. Please do not sit there and tell me that the 18-year-old rider is automatically more mature than the 16-year-old rider. especially, Especially in a sport that is right now championing Pedro Acosta, a 16-year-old rookie at this level who is this, who could potentially win a world championship next weekend in Portimao. If he wins at Portimao next weekend over Dennis Foggia, he is a 16-year-old rookie world champion. But has anybody sat here and said, Pedro's got to sit out another two years? He's not ready yet. He's not mature enough to win this. Fundamentally, racecraft and maturity 
Past a certain point has nothing to do with age. It has to do with racecraft and maturity. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say, like, this is a sport that has actively championed bending its own rules to get people through the classes as quickly as possible. Our newest MotoGP world champion was allowed to race in Moto3's world championship at age 15 because they didn't want to give him a disadvantage by missing the first two rounds before his 16th birthday. A guy that MotoGP's own site had a own article in January saying, it's Fabio Cordoraro. Yes. Fabio Cordoraro, the guy that just won the MotoGP World Championship at age 22, the third youngest champion of all time. Is he the French Marc Marquez? This was him at 15 when he dominated the junior CEV title. Nobody was out here like saying, oh my God, Fabio's not old enough. No, no, you literally it's bent the rules to let him... You literally bent the rules to let him compete. Mark Marquez Look. would not have been allowed to race for Repsol Honda in his first season in the top flight if it wasn't for the fact they bent the rules saying that rookies couldn't ride factory bikes. Eight months later, he's the youngest ever world champion at age 20. It's complete hypocrisy to now suddenly say children can't race in this it's world avoiding, championship. It's <laughs> taking the easy way out and it's avoiding the real problem. And the real problem is, is that... These light these lightweight bikes race far too closely to one another for far too much of a lap. Yeah, yeah. and from an outsider's perspective, it is uh, if you're just some random person who's never really watched motorcycle racing and you're hearing about this age limit, it's not a big deal. And no. mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm I'm fine with the age limit being implemented. But again, this can't be the only solution because this is not the it's problem. It's not the solution. Like, it, it's not solving it. something that isn't the problem. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's putting a band-aid on an axe wound. That's what this is. It's, it's not going to fix a goddamn thing. That's what frustrates me about this. You need to be taking a hard look at the... At the you can even take a hard look at the bikes themselves and what you can do to spread them out, whether that be an increase of power, whether that be the Jürgen van den Gerberg solution he mentioned um, for the Matt Oxley earlier, where he said maybe tighten the final drive of these gearboxes to stop people slipstreaming so hard. That's a potential solution. Certainly better than the nuclear option of just opening up development, which is going to cost hundreds of thousands of which euros. Will kill, which will kill an entry-level class. Right. Um, and unfortunately, like while, while I like, while I like some aspects of Oxley's solution, the other problem is that you'd have all the bikes topping out on top speed at the same time. So if bikes are close together, they're all going to arrive at the corner at the same time, mm. which is just creating a different version of the problem we have. We see it in NASCAR mm. at the super speedways at Daytona and Talladega. If one person has a problem, it's everyone's problem, and we junk a few million dollars worth of race car. The difference is here, in NASCAR, you've got 3,400 pounds of rolling steel protecting you. Here, you've got a layer of leather, and now you've got airbags. And that is not enough. We do not have the technology to mitigate a human being being hit by a motorcycle. Yeah. That is the long and, and the short of it. Yeah, and changing the age limits and making teenagers hang around in these junior classes for longer is not going to solve that problem. Yeah, so they're now, there's no. It's going to numerous. placate. It's going to placate the guilt of people who don't even engage with bike racing to begin with. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah, it's going to prevent like, those god awful clickbait titles of "Oh, fifteen year old dies on a motorcycle." If fucking newspapers publish for shock clicks. That's the only yeah. thing it's going to stop. But you know what? It's not going to stop talented young men and women dying on motorcycles because the racing is too close. Yeah, it's just, uh, and we treat it like the, kids in cages. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that that's the that's the thing about this story that makes me so angry is that it's not that they've put an age limit in; 
It's that it almost feels like damage control from the sport to kick the problem down to the junior categories, which we know nowhere near the same amount of people watch. Because, hey, this won't happen in the junior CEV because they're all going to be 16 or over. It's not going to happen in the Moto3 world title because they're the mature ones. Because they can now say that children will no longer contest the world championship. And that will make them feel better about what they're getting themselves into. So we'll kick it down to the junior level and let it be their problem. That's sickening. That's that's morbid to even think about. It's like, you know, maybe if we put this in the junior categories and make it go away, that'll that'll solve the problem. It will not solve any problem. You're just you're just moving the problem somewhere else. And these changes are a start, but you've got to have many, many more difficult conversations with Honda, with KTM about how these bikes are being made and you need to have hardcore conversations about what can be done with these bikes to make to differentiate them because right now they are too close it is too competitive and this like I said this this age limit change it it's a band-aid on a head wound it's it's not going to solve anything it's just going to make us feel better about our inherently dangerous sport and that is not going to solve anything if anything it's just going to make the situation worse because it looks like it's damage control from a PR standpoint. And that angers me because we've already had half a dozen kids die in the last three years in these sorts of scenarios. And it's not going to stop anytime soon, as long as these bikes are the way that they are and more needs to be done and sitting there and saying, Oh, well, just make the riders more mature. They're human. They have flaws. They're not going to be able Maturi- to ride. Maturity doesn't, uh, mat- it's, it's not linear. No. You're, you're, you're asking the children to solve the problem. And that's, that shouldn't be how anything works in life, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, personally, I hope more can be done, but it, it infuriates me that, that this is, I, I hope this is not the end of the conversation. I, I hope there is more coming. And I sincerely hope that journalists that know better uh, don't want to look at the age limit of riders in X's and O's and be so binary to rate their maturity based on how old they are, while at the same time celebrating potentially a 16-year-old Ricky World Champion. Funny how that turns out. (laughs) That'll do it on this week's episode of Motorsport 101. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, you know where you can find us, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, Twitter and motorsport underscore 101. Personal handles are on the screen at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, at CBuckley917. Um, and again, Instagram, motorsport101pod, website, motorsport101.com, Patreon, motorsport, Patreon, motorsport101. You can find us on there if you want to back us financially, if you can. Until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell, Cam Buckley, and Ryan Eric King. At least Fabio Cordero is alright, isn't he? He's alright. He's a cool kid. Until then, sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. <laughs> Night, everyone.